Thank you for downloading this Mass Device Radio podcast. In this interview, we'd speak with Medtronic CEO Omar Ishrak about his two years on the job at the Minneapolis-based medical device giant. The interview was recorded on June 24, 2013 in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you for listening to Mass Device Radio. What has changed, if anything, about the way you view this opportunity at Medtronic in, in the past two years, now that you're, you, you've been in there, you've been there for 24 months, mm-hmm. is, has your view of what is out there for you in this role changed? I think in many ways I, I sense an even bigger opportunity than I thought I was walking into, and my respect for the company is even bigger uh, for what I inherited. You don't walk in every day into a uh, role where you can uh, have a company which has market-leading products uh, across the board with high shares in virtually uh, every business we're in. But more important than the share is that the respect that uh, Medtronic commands with the medical community is something that I, I value enormously, and it is not something that one gets easily. And Medtronic has, in the end when I think about it, Medtronic has earned this over decades of true customer uh, commitment and physician commitment and and patient commitment. And it's in our mission, and lots of companies have missions, and and many companies also uh, achieve this. But I do know that from a Medtronic perspective, that uh, sense of commitment towards patients and, and customers and physicians and the medical community as a whole has been real deep and longstanding. And I think that, uh, and, and focused on the very businesses that we're in, and that has been a priority. And I think you don't get that, just you don't create that overnight. This takes a long time to build. And for me to truly appreciate that required me to be in Medtronic, to, to understand how, how much value there was in, in an asset such as this. And therefore, my biggest role and challenge, essentially, is to leverage this asset to go to bigger places rather than try to redo it. So what is easier than you thought, and what has been much harder than you thought? I thought that the structure would need more work. It would take me longer to align, to figure out how to align the organization and to get the organization aligned. I thought that perhaps I have to work uh, much harder at cost because when growth is very difficult to get, then, then you've got to work on cost. I found that the team was already focused on the right things. Starting to isolate the growth vectors is a matter of choosing priorities as opposed to coming up with brand new things. And the team alignment and the, and the quality of the team and the chemistry that I formed with the team straight away uh, was uh, something that, uh, you know, obviously coming into a role like this, you're always a little a- apprehensive about, but uh, th- that really was a lot easier than it perhaps could have been. What's been more difficult in many ways, the whole aspect of globalization in the sense of going after local engineering, local manufacturing, is much more difficult in the device industry than, than, than I've known. Now, as it turned out, I'm not sure that's that important. It's something that's uh, necessary for the longer term. And so it played out the right way. But when I came in, I did some inquiries. You know, do you have manufacturing in China? Do you do, you know, emerging market engineering? And the answers were no. I said, well, that's, that's an easy one to fix. Uh, and we'll get that and we'll be global. And the way we're approaching globalization is completely different mm-hmm. and not that at all. Uh, so I learned, for example, that concentrating manufacturing in one place actually is more efficient and cheaper. And even if it's done in a higher cost location uh, in, in this industry than it would be in, in some other areas. So, so those are some of the things that, 
-hmm. You know, having a little bit of a surprise, um, but in the end, we managed through it. I mean, it, it really didn't turn out to be a critical factor. So, give yourself a grade. Mm -hmm. I'll be done. Well, that's not for me to judge. I think, <laughs> uh, I think that's for others to judge. I can tell you from a satisfaction perspective, it's very high. Yeah. It's, uh, it's about as high as it gets. I've enjoyed every minute. I feel that we can make a difference. Uh, I really connect with the mission of Medtronic, and I'm just uh, thrilled uh, to have uh, a group of employees, uh, tens of thousands of employees, who all feel the same way. So uh, I cannot be uh, more appreciative of the opportunity that was given to me, and uh, that, that's the only way I can, I can talk about this. Stop doing that's a moving scorecard with which others will judge all the way from investors to patients to uh, our customers. Whose opinion matters most to you? It's difficult to bring out one stakeholder. We, mm -hmm. We've got so many stakeholders. And so you've got to balance it all and you cannot discount anybody's opinion. So you, you've got to be balanced in that. But if you were to prioritize external market, uh, patients, um, customers, the way they see the company, its reputation, its role, I think those are the most important things. I often say that the mission to Medtronic in the end is geared around patients and, and, our, and our customers. And that is so important for the following reason. We'll have uh, good quarters and we'll have tough quarters and we'll have good years and we'll have tough years. And there'll be problems that'll happen which we caused and there'll be problems that'll happen that we didn't cause. And over time, a company runs through all of that. But the mission, if you all stay focused on our mission of, uh, as you all know, of restoring health alleviating pain. If you keep focused on that, you know that you're making a difference to people, then no matter what the problem is, you get up and you say, well, I'll fix that, even if it takes a year to fix or two years to fix. If that's what I'm focused on, I'm doing something useful and, and I'll fix it. So in the end, the external market, the, the patients, the customers, the users of our therapies, that they're happy and that we're making a difference to them is what our mission is all about and that's the most important thing for me. Let's talk about economic value because I've heard you speak about this yeah. a lot. And I, I think you told us once, basically, it's in the most simplest terms. It's projecting our value proposition in financial terms. Some of this I've heard before in sort yep. of a sales context, sell to the three levels of value, clinical and economic and what, and what have you. But specifically, when you, when you talk about economic value, is this a sales approach? Is this a business model approach? Is this an R&D approach? Maybe you could be a little more specific with me about mm -hmm. how you see this. It's all of those. In the sense that at least when we talk about it, uh, what we mean is the translation of clinical value to economic value in very granular terms. So in other words, in healthcare and in devices largely, the cost is incurred in a certain time and place. And the value is realized, the financial value and even the clinical value is realized at a different time and a different place. So when you put in a device, you don't get the value the instant you put the device in, you get the value later. And that time and place may well be within the hospital in case whatever you do, say, reduces the length of stay in a hospital. It could be immediately afterwards in that it reduces the amount of readmissions. It could be much longer. It could be uh, several years uh, where, where uh, the overall uh, cost of medication may be lowered or the cost of expensive incidents reduced. So being able to take a therapy or a device whose clinical value is articulated in that fashion and granularly translating into which stakeholder gets the financial value in what form, I think that is building out the entire, the, the impact, the financial impact on the entire ecosystem for a certain technology, I think is what I really mean by economic value. 
and through that, figure out in R&D how to prioritize your programs because it will tell you whether a certain innovation, where its value would be captured and what evidence do you need to demonstrate that you truly have that value and that should be configured into the analysis of what investments you need to bring that product to market, not simply the clinical trials, but also what it takes to translate that clinical trial into economic evidence which someone can actually measure in a, in a concrete fashion and use to make decisions themselves as a result of that. So it's certainly used in R&D from that perspective. It's used in the selling context at the C-suite and administrative offices where they are making an investment and they want to know what the return is. And if you tell them the return is overall macroeconomics gets better, that may not be good enough. And you need to kind of translate it in their words. And the translation may be that, uh, you know, you differentiate your hospital so you'll get more revenue or you open up a new reimbursement scheme because of a new type of technology or you reduce the cost of care within the hospital. So, so there's, a, there's a message that you have to that you have to provide to the hospital stakeholders. No matter which way you look at it, mm-hmm. it, it has its uh, form, but the essential thinking of saying that clinical value is to be translated into economic value in, the, in a granular fashion is what I'm getting at here. I've heard some of this where you talk about maybe some of the infusion pumps or perfusion pumps, yeah. give me, if I'm For like RBC. screw that yeah. up, and how you can yeah. sort of sell these services yeah. wrapped around the devices, yeah. like telling you the yeah. hospital how much money sure. they're making or how much blood they use or what have you. Yep. So that's very specific. Yep. Um, can you talk through that little sliver there? Because that's a small piece of your, of your overall business, right? Well, so well. where can this where can this? Uh, like I said, grow? virtually everything that we do, we want to be able to, to translate that into some kind of, uh, you know, everything that we do has a clinical value proposition. We mm-hmm. know how to do that. that. That's what our sales teams are trained to do. That's what our marketing teams are trained to do. And I'm making the assertion that if there's clinical value, there's a corresponding economic value to somebody. And sort of figuring that out is the task. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I can take virtually any example. An example that you stated, we use a perfusion product which is used in cardiac surgery. While doing some programs along with the product in the management of patient flow into the operating room and the management post the operation, we can demonstrate that when all that is put together, the hospital can save money in terms of blood usage uh, during a procedure. And also, actually, because of reduced blood usage, the outcomes are better. And when that's scaled, when you can provide information like that, which a hospital can actually relate to and measure, you can scale that much more easily because the value proposition to the hospital is very clear and obvious. And when you scale that, that becomes, it can become a significant amount of money for the hospital and even for us in, in, in that context because you're, you're scaling it up. That's one example. Other examples could be the amount of for a particular feature in an ICD, maybe the number of shocks are reduced. And so the ER time is reduced or the ER visits are reduced. And mm-hmm. you can account that in terms of what savings there are in an ER department. There are others when we use our navigation imaging technology in conjunction with spinal implants. You can demonstrate that the overall revision surgery rate is lowered. And again, you get data to show that revision surgery is within the hospital stays covered under a single payment. And if you can reduce that, you not only make the clinical outcome better, but you save money as well. And in all these cases, the granularity is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Just talking about it generically is really not, not enough. You can talk about use of insulin pumps, for example, which have been shown to reduce A1C levels. Now, that's a longer-term thing. That's not going to happen immediately because of reduced A1C levels. We know that ER visits or hypoglycemia reduces, and, 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 and overall, the overall care of the patient improves. 
uh, and uh, and so that too can be measured in, t in terms of uh, benefit and there the pair is, is interested in, in their cost being reduced. Mm -hmm. So each therapy that we have is its own story and the, the task here is just the discipline and the granularity and the detail to which we have to uh, apply that across the entire organization and that's the, that's the step that, that, that we have to take. I've often felt that and, and I'm sure you'll all agree that uh, in healthcare outcomes in the U.S. and worldwide you know, we made, and you know, Steve pointed this out to me this morning, actually, they, you know, worldwide we made enormous impact. Life expectancy over decades has improved. Diseases that were incurable are not cured. There's treatments for it. And progress like that is happening every day, which makes an enormous difference to people's lives. But at the same time, what we've not kept pace with is that the cost, especially in the United States, of delivering that level of quality of care appears to be out of sync because uh, in all uh, forms, if you just extrapolate the current cost of care, it's not sustainable. And yet, if you improve outcomes, costs should go down and not go up. And so there's something missing there, and part of that is actually understanding the cost uh, and return of that cost in a healthcare system. And if you apply that more granularly, I do think that one can reduce cost and improve the quality of care in any healthcare system in the world concurrently. So you have a, a Medtronic is a very interesting spin out called Naya Medical. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I guess I would describe in its simplest terms as uh, sort of a generic label for Medtronic products, ICD products that are sold in the EU. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Uh, so can you talk to me a little about the goals of this approach? Is this something yeah. that you're going to see in a different context here? Because it seems interesting. It's, I've seen it in, in other industries, but I don't think I've yeah. seen it in this. Respect. Well, first let me state that that's a, that's a pilot program. Okay. So it's, it's not being something that we've, we've rolled out globally in some kind of standardized fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, the other point I'll make is that it really has two components. One component of it is, uh, is the administrative system. That's to do with uh, ordering and setting inventory levels in the hospital and so on, which is, which is more like an e-commerce type of tool. Uh, the, the other uh, portion of it is essentially the service levels that are provided during a procedure mm -hmm. uh, for a certain customer. Um, the second is something that uh, we'll have to see what the markets want. And uh, if there's a demand for that type of package of product and service, where there's such a demand and where customers want that, we, we can look into providing it. The e-commerce part is more generic and it's something that we will probably explore more, more comprehensively. So, I mean, we're in an age, I guess, where a lot of med tech companies are, are, are very worried about commoditization yeah. and, and that the products yeah. over time. I mean, is there some ways in which yeah. there could be worries that this could be actually accelerating that process, well, or do you worry about that at all? No, I, I think a number of things. My, my answer to commoditization is, in fact, economic value. What that means is that Unless you know the value then of something and you know how to measure it and demonstrate its financial equation, you'll almost certainly be stuck with a perceived commoditization because you don't know what the value is. So you're out there with somebody questioning, why should I pay more for something? And, and you're answering in some kind of qualitative fashion. Uh, and that may or may not get traction. So, so I think the only answer is to be objective about where the value is. And if you're objective about the values and there's true value, I don't see how things will be commoditized. Mm -hmm. I just don't see in healthcare in general, given the need for healthcare, given people's 
unending desire for better healthcare. Uh, and given the fact that technology continues to progress, that healthcare will ever mature, it, it won't. Because people want better healthcare. If someone finds a way to enable an illness to be cured, people will want that. If someone finds a way to extend someone's life, people will want that. If, if someone finds a way to reduce pain during a surgery or procedure or post that, people will want that. And, and technologies are such that people in their creative minds, innovators, are thinking of ways to solve those problems. And these are not endpoints. You can always live longer. You can, you can always get better more quickly. And these are not things that finish one fine day. They go on forever. And technology, in the same way, progresses forever. And you put these two, th two things together, any rational thought will tell you that these are not going to mature. And if you do think it's matured, you'll probably get disrupted. Because you will, you will not invest in areas to make things better when clearly there's a need and there's a way. And if you don't invest in that, sooner or later you're going to get, you, you, you'll fall behind. So I don't think this commoditization thing, uh, it, it, may be, it may be something we're trapped in because of the way we're looking at things. Mm -hmm. But if you really take a macro approach at this, I don't see how that's the case. Even in the most mature technologies that we have, within certain boundaries, mm -hmm. uh, the level of adoption around the world is not even close to being uniform or very high for that matter. And the opportunity to make things better in almost any disease we're in is always there. So, I mean, I guess that kind of segues us into emerging markets, which sure. is even very vocal champion, and maybe beyond the demographics, because the demographics are admittedly astounding. Where do you see the real, beyond those demographics, what do you think they, why do you think these, these emerging markets have become such an extreme focus of the medical device industry? Well, I, I think people are, are realizing the opportunity, especially in medical devices, and let me kind of walk you through that. If you take Medtronic as an example, and we take our existing therapies, which have proven science behind them. The trials are all done, they're being used, they're, the diagnosis is understood, and the, and the treatment is, is well accepted. If you just take that collection of devices, which, which we sell around the world, and you say that we want to equalize the level of adoption of these devices around the world amongst people who can afford to pay for them. So this means that in a place like India, literally people who pay out of their pockets, in a place like China, a lot out of their pockets and some by the government. And you get a variety of flavors across that. But strictly take the number of people who can afford these therapies, which in round numbers comes to about 15% of the population of the emerging markets. If you just equalize the level of adoption amongst this population of, of these therapies that we have, that gives us alone a $5 billion a year opportunity. Uh, and so, look, this is a big opportunity. And it doesn't require science. And the end market here is, is diversified from other end markets because it doesn't depend on new products. And it's clearly there. If you count the number of people in the world, which people do over and over again, mm -hmm. you know that the end market exists. So the end markets are known. They're big. And the opportunity is there that it's not a technology unknown, per se. There are still barriers to be overcome and, may, and solutions to be, to be invented and, 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 and innovated around. But it's not pure science in, the, in that sense, pure uh, discovery science. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's obviously an exciting opportunity. And then you go to the remaining 85% who, who cannot afford the care today. And as they 
grow, as the middle classes grow and the affordable, and the people who can afford care go up, the governments invest more in providing care, and our costs go down because by, we use technology to lower the costs and tier our products in different ways. I think that opportunity is even bigger, uh, a lot bigger. And so here I see an end market that is almost unending. It's, it's, it's massive. If you talk about billions of people around the world who, who, who need care with existing therapies. And, and you look at this and you can project a double-digit growth engine for the foreseeable future. There are many opportunities like that. What are you learning on the ground right now while you're there about not only building those markets, which I'm sure is kind of a completely different yeah. skill set than, say, selling devices here. What are you learning there on the ground? Well, the first thing to learn is this. I mean, when I, when I, put, the, when I put the story in the way I just said, that, look, here's a, here's a therapy whose diagnostics is understood, whose treatment is understood, and the person who needs it can afford it. Well, why doesn't he get that? You know, the, his, his illness can be diagnosed. The treatment is known. He's got the money to pay for it. <laughs> Who in his right mind wouldn't, wouldn't kind of get that? Well, so that's a kind of, uh, you have to ask yourself, well, why is that the case? And usually that's the case because of a number of reasons. It's either because they're simply not aware that such a therapy, in fact, exists. There may be cultural norms about uh, saying that if someone's 60 years old and they get tired, the fact that with a pacemaker they can live another 20 years they just don't know about, but at 60 years old, if you get tired, well, it's time, you know, that's how life is. Uh, and that's a cultural acceptance, and people simply don't know. It could be that there are doctors who are simply not enough physicians out there who are trained to do the deployment of such, such devices. Or there are no hospitals, or the infrastructure doesn't exist. So you take these three together, and it becomes, uh, and that's the kind of challenge that you face in that kind of environment. But as you dig in beyond that, you know, you find more interesting um, uh, factors. Um, you know, you go into China and you'll find that the level of uh, adoption of, say, pacemakers, just by way of example, in Shanghai may in fact be at the developed country levels. But in a second-tier city, it's at like 3% or 5%, even amongst people who can afford it, because it's, there are people with money even in smaller towns. Uh, but maybe they don't have access to the care, Maybe they don't know about it. The local physician is just not, you know, they still go to the local physician and he, he doesn't know about anything about it or he or she doesn't know anything about it. So, and our salespeople aren't actually going there. So we're not telling anyone anything either. So it requires a reorientation of the way in which we think about how we go to market, uh, about how we prioritize, to tap into opportunities that actually are lower hanging fruit than one may think a tier two city is in, in a country like China. So, so it, it's really taught us about the uniqueness of the challenge by narrowing ourselves down to answering that very simple question, which seems obvious. You know, if you're ill, we know how to treat you, you've got the money, why, why can't I treat you? Trying to answer that question leads you in all these different paths. And, and, and we've learned a lot and, uh, about how to prioritize our programs, uh, about how important it is to, uh, to, to set programs in a certain way, where to, where to deploy people, what type of people to deploy. Uh, so we've learned a lot. And if you want to ask me what's been more difficult, that's certainly been more difficult than I first thought because, again, I thought this is low-hanging fruit. Right. And when you actually go on the ground and try to do it, you know, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, it's still making progress, and, and I'm confident that uh, this is the right thing to do and, and we'll move ahead, but it's not quite as obvious as it first seems. 
you're certainly not the only large medical device company in, in your yeah. specialties that are going in there. You, there's been a, a large increase in competition there. Are you seeing an impact business at all? Uh, well, no, I, I think or? the markets are big enough. There. Yeah. There's always going to be competition. Mm -hmm. But uh, the end markets are big enough here that, uh, you know, you can you can get a lot of business without seeing anybody else. <laughs> I mean, this is this is there's some big markets out there. So you know, there's some competition, but uh, that's always going to be the case. Are you finding yourself in some of those tier two cities? Is it is the temptation ever there to get in and start helping build the actual infrastructure of the hospitals and things like that? No, I mean, well, there... you know, actually the infrastructure is the is usually, and I'm generalizing a little bit, is usually the the least. Uh, of the problem in that, you know, you take a government somewhere in the world and, you know, they have a problem with healthcare, what do they do? They build a hospital. Uh, you know, they buy a cath lab. And uh, there's nobody there who knows how to use it. Or the, or the patients don't know what it's for. But the hospital's there, and that sounds good. <laughs> so, so the hospital I've found actually in many countries around the world is, is the piece of infrastructure that's actually around. Uh, I think the training and the awareness, specifically the awareness, is perhaps the most difficult one because you've got to get to patients, you've got to get referring physicians, you've got to build a chain that, that actually works. And I think, um, I think that's the piece that, that, that's really uh, required the most attention. How do, how do you build this awareness? And then, and then having built the awareness, how do you make sure that uh, patients uh, follow a streamlined approach to care? Because you know, awareness is not putting out a bunch of TV ads. Uh, this is actually working with referring physicians, educating patients, uh, building centers of education, uh, and, then, and then formulating and facilitating uh, uh, care pathways that these patients can be looked after. Well, I mean, what lessons right now are you bringing actually back here? Because and, and, you're spending so much energy and time yeah. over there. What are you bringing back to the United States and the, the mature domestic markets? Are you guys picking up any lessons or learning things? Well, I'm sure you, you know, want to spill your secrets with half of Boston no, Scientific's uh, no, no, crowd. No, it being it here, isn't but. that. Uh, I, I think, look, we're learning, we're learning healthcare systems, uh, how things work. Uh, I, I think um, from a perspective of bringing devices back here, you know, I'm sure at some point there'll be those opportunities. But in our mind, uh, if you take the end market in China, the opportunity to, to penetrate that end market in China is, is way bigger than anything that we can do with some kind of value product in the United States. I mean, just take the market. The Chinese overall, overall population is five times the US population, and hence the absolute end market is that much bigger. Uh, and now if I want to take a portion of the US uh, population and think that that's my biggest opportunity, I'm not thinking about this the right way. So the biggest opportunity is actually penetrating those markets. Now, a side effect of that will be that you know you innovate in a different way, you think about things a different way, and because of that, you'll bring ideas back to other markets, uh, which we'll do in conjunction with, with a lot of other people. Uh, but that's not the main reason you go out there. Mm -hmm. you know, if that's the reason, uh, it's probably not sustainable. What does the world look like to you by the time you leave Medtronic? I hope uh, we can, um, we can um, have made movement towards a company that uh, has, uh, has begun the transformation from a device provider to an overall healthcare solutions provider, mm -hmm. that the world is uh, one where paper value is better understood and more accepted and utilized around the world, uh, and one where, uh, where um, the 
the, the, we made, we moved the needle a little bit in equalizing the level of care that's available around the world. Do you see it? So right now we have U.S., Europe, and then it's kind of like this kind yeah, of... Yeah. Do you see it going this way in you know, 10, 15 that's years? Do you ever see... Not where 10, 15 years. I mean, well, that, that, 20? No, I, I just don't see that happening uh, in any realistic time frame mm-hmm. where, where the healthcare quality will be it will be better, uh, you know, in some other country. If we do, we've done something badly wrong here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we've got such a big lead here in terms of uh, technology availability, in terms of technology knowledge, in terms of clinical knowledge, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of funding, believe it or not, in absolute dollars. Mm-hmm. That for us to think that we'll get, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, out, you know, outmoded by uh, by China or something, we'd really have to do something badly wrong. So I, I don't see that happening. Uh, I do think the markets will be bigger, simply because the populations are bigger. I think that's going to happen a lot sooner, uh, in that the markets uh, in some of these countries with big populations will challenge the U.S. market and certainly the European markets uh, very, very soon, yeah. I, I think within the decade. Uh, I think whether they provide better care across their entire population versus... Uh, the developed markets, I think that's much more challenging. Uh, and I'm not sure that's going to happen that quickly. Uh, uh, I think there's just too much, uh, too much talent uh, in the United States. I think the people's intention and innovative spirit is too high. The entrepreneurial spirit is there that, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, and the developed countries in general, but we'll continue to innovate in our own way and we'll continue to lead the world in, in terms of technology and clinical advancements. So I just have a couple more questions. I, I, I sort of outsourced this one. I asked a group of MIT kids that I do some work with from time to time if they had any questions for the CEO of Medtronic. They're very big thinkers. They want to change the way the world works, but they, they kind of have a problem in that they don't know how to source the problems of healthcare, and they want to know how... Say that again. What do you mean source? Well, they want to figure out the problems they can solve and use their technology or use their brain power. They want a job or something? (laughs) 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 They might. I'm sure they will at some point. (laughs) But um, they want to know how you find the problems that that you that you want to solve. How does how does your company, you know, one of the largest pure play medical device companies, find the problems to fix? Well, you know, we we see where the opportunities are. Look, we, we we spend a lot of time. Uh, externally talking, interfacing with all kinds of stakeholders uh, around the world. Uh, we, we, we try to converge uh, um, you know, technical know-how with spending time with, 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 with physicians in, in hospitals and their care settings uh, around the world, and increasingly with uh, healthcare administrators as they try to solve this, this problem. And um, I think this is just a matter of going out there and learning. Uh, spend time with uh, with the markets that we have to address, and uh, there's enough problems out there. There's enough opportunities, uh, even using technology to reduce cost and something that that may be commoditized. Even that's an opportunity. Um, so uh, I think going out there and and learning, uh, and and getting close to different stakeholders in healthcare, uh, is the way in which you figure out the opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at the same time coming back and, uh, and, and trying to connect technology with that, I think, is the key to it, is the key to, uh, to, to coming up with opportunities, but, but also um, I think the key on the other side um, uh, for, for the different stakeholders to appreciate what technology can really do. So I'd just, just go out there and 
learn, see how people do things, and let your mind and ingenuity uh, kind of let it be free and, and come up with ideas, try it, uh, follow a pattern, a discipline, and a systematic methodology. And uh, there's enough uh, opportunities out there, enough problems out there to be solved, and you know, there's no shortage of entrepreneurs. I kind of wish I'd asked this question first and that one last, but mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as one of the largest uh, medical device companies in the world, you're also paying one of the largest tax bills for the medical device tax. Mm -hmm. You have been much, I, I would say, much quieter than other companies in terms of uh, discussing the uncomfortable position this puts you in. Is, this, is there a reason you, you're not more out there pushing against the medical device tax? Or? Well, you know, look, uh, I'm a firm believer in, um, in, in spending my time on stuff I can control. Uh, you know, if I, if I can do well in the things that I can control, uh, you know, we can, we can make progress. On stuff I cannot control, there's so much I can do. Uh, and, uh, and I think the, the tax uh, thing is... Uh, you know, I'm just being pragmatic about it. I mean, it's here, and you know, we've got to pay it. Um, and you know, I've got to figure out a way to offset it because it's there. Uh, if I if I bank everything on trying to uh, get rid of it somehow, and not figure out how to deal with it, uh, I think I'm doing my company a disservice. Uh, so um, that that's why you know it's there. Uh, you know, this is not the stage where it's being discussed. It's there, and. You know, although I appreciate the efforts that have been made in supporting its repeal, which, which I truly do appreciate, I think a lot of people have uh, spent a lot of time uh, making that case. I think the general opinion is also that uh, this is uh, more like more to do with tax policy as opposed to healthcare policy. I mean, it's lumped under healthcare, but in the end, it's linked with other forms of tax, and offsets probably have to be found. And people are working on that, and to the degree that I can contribute to that, we will. Uh, but in its, in its form right now, I think we've just got to, you know, we get pressures coming at us from all kinds of different places, uh, everything from purchasing managers <laughs> to, 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 to the device tax, and we're going to deal with it. Uh, that these are pressures that we have in the business, and we've got to, you know, sort of make trade-offs to be able to manage the reality of circumstances. Uh, on a long, longer term basis, of course we've got views on how uh, taxation, how tax reform should, should follow through and how healthcare policy should follow through and we, we can talk about those things and we have opinions about those and we will lead those. Uh, but just on its own, at this stage, um, there's not much, you know, not, not much of a productive effort I can put into it. So with all that you have on your plate, I just, I'm curious, how much do you sleep at night? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I sleep enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I find that, uh, the, you know, I usually make it up. You know, yeah. some nights it's like three hours and then it's like 12. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I kind of get by uh, just fine. Uh, look, uh, it may sound like a lot, but in truth, I don't work any harder than anybody else. I mean, everybody puts in, the, puts in their time and, uh, you know, I know plenty of engineers down at the ground level and manufacturing people and, and our salespeople and marketing people who are putting in a lot of hours, a lot of commitment, uh, you know, without the visibility that I get. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, everyone puts in a lot of work. And my work may be a little different and more visible, but I'm not sure it's any, 
I don't have to put in any more hours per se. I think that's all the time we have, is that uh, right? Well, uh, I hope you can uh, join me in thanking Omar. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.